Welcome to the Do Good to Lead Well podcast. If you're passionate about mastering self-leadership, then you're in the right place. I have always been curious about and fascinated by the pursuit of leadership excellence. This is why I pursued my PhD in psychology with a specialization in business, and I've continued to dedicate my career to understanding the science and practice of positive leadership. My name is Craig Dowden, I'm a best-selling author, award-winning keynote speaker, executive coach, and member of the Forbes Coaches Council. Each week, I'll bring you world-class content on the science and practice of positive leadership. Through my conversations with best-selling authors, TED speakers, and top CEOs, you'll be able to leverage their insights and experience so you can maximize your potential and be the leader the world needs you to be. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Do Good to Lead Well webinar and podcast series. My name is Craig Dowden. I'm your host, and I'm very excited about the conversation that we're about to embark on together this afternoon. Been really looking forward to this. And based on audience interest and, and participation and signups, this is going to be a fantastic hour that's going to go by all too quickly. Every time I open, I want to pass along my gratitude the Do Good to Lead Well podcast through your support is now in the top 3% of podcasts globally, according to ratings from Listen Notes. So a sincere, sincere thank you. Thank you for the shares, the likes, your comments, your feedback. This makes this community so, so rewarding for me. And I'm beyond excited. Dr. Stern is the co-founder and associate director for the Yale Center for Emotional Intelligence and an associate research scientist at the Child Study Center at Yale. She's a licensed psychoanalyst with 30 years of experience treating individuals, couples, and families. She's the author of The Gaslight Effect, How to Spot and Survive the Hidden Manipulation Others Use to Control Your Life, awesome book, and her latest, The Gaslight Effect Recovery Guide, Your Personal Journey Toward Healing from Emotional Abuse. Dr. Stern has been a guest on many local and national radio shows, has traveled widely to lecture on emotional intelligence, women in leadership, and on relational bullying. She's also the host of the Gaslight Effect podcast, which teaches listeners about the depths the term can take. She interviews experts and hears personal experiences from guests about all aspects of gaslighting, from the unintentional, the role it plays in marriages and divorce, and how good parenting can be gaslighting. So without further ado, a warm, warm welcome, Dr. Stern, to the program today. Well, thank you, Craig. Congratulations, first of all, on your huge success. And, and thank you for your important work in the world. I'm really honored to be here and, and know that you're broadcasting worldwide, as, as is allowed, of course, by technology. And I am looking forward to diving into to gaslighting in the workplace and and any questions you might have. Obviously, gaslighting is very popular these days, sadly. And I happened into it through having many women in my practice years ago when I was first starting out. And also in my personal life, had some experiences and witnessed some experiences that led me to this incredibly important topic that was made more popular during the last election cycle in America. I don't think we're going to start there, but I, I know at some point we'll get there. And gaslighting can be soul-destroying for people and can disorienting and destabilizing. And so very important to talk about it and 
Thanks again for elevating the topic to your audience. We are most welcome and I'm intrigued and I'd love to hear a bit about your origin story. How did this come to be that your study and your work, your applied work has been focusing on this on this issue? So I grew up outside of New York City in a, a suburb called Garden City, which had lots of beautiful homes and manicured lawns and wonderful families. And I was lucky to grow up with parents who loved me, didn't know much about emotional intelligence and psychology, but they did give me a lot of love. And a brother who, same, lots of love, and he's still with us, which is wonderful. And I'll have to ask him to listen to this podcast when, when we're done. But what I noticed growing up was that manicured lawns and beautifully appointed homes on the outside didn't necessarily mean that on the inside, everything was great. And so there, there was a lot of gossip, if you will, in, in our neighborhood and a lot of drama between couples who were fighting a lot, between couples who were swapping. And maybe that's not the technical term, but there was, there was some infidelity that got to be part of the gossip mill at different times. And otherwise, we got up every morning, went to school, went to synagogue on the weekend. I grew up in the Jewish faith and people went to church and had dinners out. And it just looked like a very easygoing, lovely community. But on the inside, what I was seeing was people not only were, were their families where there was a lot of fighting, but what was fascinating to me was the difference in the reaction to the same set of events from family to family. So there'd be some families where when the husband or wife was displeased with what was going on, they would scream and yell, slam the door, leave the house. And then in other families, that same set of circumstances, be it something that was burning in the oven or something that was left undone when promised, the reaction would be quite different. It'd be, okay, you know, so that didn't work out. Let's, let's go out to dinner or uh, let's start over or I'll help you with that. And I became really interested in how people appraise things differently and how our emotions follow. Because after all, if I think that you burn my dinner intentionally, I'm going to be pretty angry. Right? Whereas if I think, my God, you know, the oven collapsed, I mean, I'm making that but the oven collapsed or something happened while dinner was cooking, I may be disappointed, but then so are you. And let's, let's deal with that together. And of course, in my work at the Yale Center for Emotional Intelligence, which follows that thread through my life, I pursued psychology and, and ended up working with a wonderful team led by my close colleague, Mark Brackett. I now know through decades of research that in fact, emotions are about how you appraise them, right? They're led by that. And I decided to pursue a clinical route because it was really the conversations with people and a want to heal people and help them do it differently so that they can lead better lives and be kind, step into kindness, step into their best selves so they could have peaceful relationships that led me into private practice, working with couples. So that's a big piece of my origin story. And then my education just led me to work with people in psychology until I had children. My amazing, wonderful children are Scott is 36 and Melissa is 33. And when they were young, they, of course, went to school, like I'm sure many of your children. And I realized, wait a minute, someone else is raising these children from nine to three every single day. And what kind of training 
in relationships do these people have? What kind of support when my kids are feeling blue or what kind of competent management if people are out of control in the classroom will my children be witnessing? And so I then began to look for people at the intersection of psychology and education. And that's how I got into the world of emotional intelligence. So gaslighting was almost a separate thread, except that, of course, we all need skills to be in a relationship and skills of emotional intelligence are foundational for getting into healthy relationships. So, of course, also foundational for getting out of dysfunctional relationships. I love your origin story because it sounds so similar to my own. This is fascinating. People see things different way. They appraise things. I love how you framed it around the appraisal of, of situations and then our emotions follow that and then our actions from there. So, so important and, and so powerful. So I want to start with, and I've shared with different clients that I've been speaking with and friends and colleagues about our conversation today. And they're like, what is gaslighting? What's the gaslight effect? So I'd love to start there. So the gaslight effect is what happens to you over time when you are caught in a, in what I call the gaslight tango. When, when you've been gaslighted for some period of time and you are destabilized or you are confused or you are you find yourself second guessing your own phone number. I mean, that's not literal, but maybe sometimes literal. And that you you aren't the same strong self you recognize was there who started this relationship. And at an extreme, it can be soul destroying to be suffering the gaslight effect. In milder cases, it can simply be destabilizing and confusing, as I said. And so it is what happens to you over time because gaslighting is a psychological, emotional manipulation that happens over time. Power dynamic where you, the gaslightee, are led to second guess yourself or to question your perception or your memory or your reality. When that's happening, that can be very disorganizing. And one of the reasons that gaslighting has become so popular, in fact, word of the year in 2022, was that we lived through the pandemic three years, if not more, of uncertainty, feeling out of control, not knowing what reality was. And reality, depending on what news channel you turned on, could be very different from one person to the next. And that definitely increased the instances of gaslighting, it definitely created fertile soil for gaslighting. And the fact that people weren't going to their office for some period of time, the fact that there was hybrid learning going on in schools and perhaps and hybrid meetings going on in, in offices, including my own. We have some people on Zoom, some people in person, and the isolation, loneliness and alienation and fuzzy boundaries that it caused really led to more gaslighting. Allison has a, a question and, it, and it's great, ties so nicely, is that, so what's the process of gaslighting look like? And I know you talk about, Dr. Stern, in your book, The Stages. So can you talk us through how that, how that happens? Sure. Thank you, Allison, for that question. So the first stage of gaslighting that I was able to identify working with patients over several decades, three decades, is disbelief. So imagine that you are 
you're having a conversation with someone and you say, you know what, I'm, I, I don't know. I don't remember what I did with that document. And your powerful person on the other end, perhaps your boss, perhaps a colleague who you've given some power to, says to you, well, of course you don't remember. I forget things all the time. And you think, oh, that's silly. And you may say, no, I don't. I'm, I'm not forgetful. And you go about your business and you think that's strange. But then this same person, whether it's a close colleague or your boss or a partner or a family member, tells you again in short order, some other time, well, you know what? You are, you are pretty forgetful. And you say again, I'm not, I'm not think I'm forgetful, but you know, you are, and, and sorry, ladies, but I know that this happens more to women than to men in my experience. Not that men don't experience gaslighting. They certainly do. And it can be just as destructive and, and devastating. But in my, in the pairing that I saw most often in my practice, it was a woman coming to report gaslighting, whether it was in the workplace or in their partnership. And especially for women, when we are socialized to be accommodating and to please others, it's easy when there's something going, going on in the relationship where you feel like, I'm not sure what's happening, to question yourself. And of course, there's nothing wrong with actually saying, am I this way? No, no, I'm not. But when you keep hearing from someone else who is insistent and very certain that there is something wrong, in this case with your memory, then you begin to enter stage two of the gaslight effect, where you start to get defensive and you are, then you become persistent and insistent. I'm not forgetful. Remember this time where you told me that fact? Well, now, you know, I still remember it. And so, no, 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 you're completely wrong. And I don't want you to think of me that way. And I'm, my memory is fine. Come on, let's, let's, let's do a memory test. Test me right now. And you find yourself then in the workplace ruminating over the conversations you're having with your boss where you're insisting and defending yourself. Wait a minute, I did remember that timeline accurately. No, you know, or you never told me that it was due today. And that isn't who I am. And what's very tough during stage two is to accept that you may have to agree to disagree. What's very tough is to walk away, even from the, the interaction or that power struggle in the moment, while your boss is still thinking, you screwed up. And you know you did not. And you can be in stage two for quite some time. It certainly is very depleting and exhausting to be wondering who is right and who's wrong all the time. And to be ruminating, going over that same conversation. We've all done it. You replay yeah. the and you forget that maybe the important piece is not who's right or who's wrong, but how you feel during that conversation. Because if you continue to feel like you're less than, or you're being put down, or somebody's rolling their eyes at you when you feel humiliated, it's much more important to the health and well-being of that relationship and your health and well-being to be thinking about that, not who's right and who's wrong. And when you're going through that for a period of time and the gaslighting continues, then you're in stage three, where you begin to really move into the shoes of the gaslighter, where you begin to see yourself, well, you know, yeah, of course, I'm such a screw up. I probably did 
forget that. And you're not even then questioning or defending yourself. You're joining your gaslighter in an attack on you. And you can take over the gaslighting all by yourself. That sound like something you've seen in, in your experience, Craig? For sure. And like, and, and lots of comments. Thank you. Thank you. Very helpful. I mean, I really appreciate use of the word destabilize, destabilization, because that absolutely resonates and it can be prolonged and that it's really challenging. And what I hear is people going, it, it, maybe it is me. You're like, because how could someone keep having such a totally opposite reaction? So it almost defies their own belief system that there's no way that something like this would be interpreted that way. So I must have it wrong. And then it's even starting the question. And that's the really tough. So absolutely resonates with me. I've got to follow up again. I'm not surprised. So many great questions coming in. Lisa was wondering, do you feel that gaslighting equals workplace bullying? It is definitely a kind of bullying. Yes. Mm -hmm. Other kinds of bullying, you can be straight out bullied, intimidated, pushed around, and it's not always gaslighting. Gaslighting is about causing you, leading you to second guess yourself. It's about deflecting responsibility or denying responsibility and making it your fault. So for example, Lisa, let's say your boss is traveling and you have a problem with something that you're working on. Boss comes back and asks for your product and or your paper, whatever it was that was due. And you say, well, I tried to reach you, but I couldn't reach you. Well, like I, I you asked me to keep in touch. I was working on this really hard. It's really important to me. And, and I just could never reach you. And your boss, the bully says, get out of my office. I don't want to hear your excuse. This is not acceptable, et cetera. And you, I want this done by five o'clock today. I'm not that bully, but I tried there. So, and then on the other hand, the gaslighting boss going to say, you tried me. And so I didn't answer. So maybe you're a little sensitive about that. Are you having some issues right now? Is this a time where you, I know you're in menopause? Hear that? So many times for the women who are listening. You're going through a change of life. Well, maybe you're a little stressed out. Don't you think you're sensitive? Or it wasn't available to you, but you could have gotten your work done if you weren't so sensitive. And so you may walk away thinking, you know, he's right. I am very sensitive these days. Or I'm going through a hard time with my family. Or I was really pressured about this. But you know what? Even if you are sensitive, he still didn't answer the phone. And he still didn't talk about the fact that he didn't answer the phone. And in partnerships, in couplehood, I hear it about it all the time. Well, honey, I couldn't reach you. Come on, you're so paranoid. Well, you may be paranoid, but more than likely, the reason you're paranoid is because there's someone out there who you love who you're trying to reach, and he keeps blaming his actions or lack of actions on you. Thank you. And again, so many comments about so insightful, so interesting, very valuable. And again, another great follow-up question from Dale saying, this is so fascinating. And I know so many really smart, capable, successful people who seem to fall victim to this. Like what's, what's going on? How does, how does this happen? Isn't that amazing? Right? Yeah. Well, thank you for that comment. 
One of the reasons that I was drawn to this kind of psychological manipulation is that during the time that it was presenting itself in my practice, I had also seen the movie Gaslight. There is a wonderful movie with Ingrid Bergman and Charles Boyer, 1944, where the diabolical sociopathic husband, played by Charles Boyer, is trying to drive his wife, played by Ingrid Bergman, Paula, crazy so that he can steal the family jewels. Now, most people who are gaslighting, who I've seen, are not as diabolical or are not murderers as the audience knows. In this case, the character was a murderer. But what is the common thread that I've seen is here was this character in the movie, and I recommend that everyone see it, this wonderful, lovely, stable woman who seemed very confident in herself, falls in love with this more powerful guy who she idealizes. And when he begins to tell her, Paula, are you becoming forgetful? Paula, you seem to think things. Paula, are you becoming paranoid as well as forgetful? She says, don't be silly. But then in the movie, he begins to move household objects around. And so when she looks to know, to confirm where she remembers those objects, they're not there anymore. Or where she looks to see where he placed an object, it's not there because he's stolen it. But because she doesn't know the answer, she blames it on herself. Mm-hmm. And in my, in my personal life, there were many friends who were strong and confident, running their own company, having done really well in their life, very full of vitality, making decisions very comfortably, suddenly at the hands of one person not being able to decide what kind of salmon to buy it. Falling prey to the certainty and the distortion of reality that they were getting from their partners. Well, you know, why should why should I want to be with you? Or it used mm-hmm. to you would do XYZ and you don't do it anymore. So if you are looking for someone to blame, it's your fault because you've fallen down on that job. Mm-hmm. And women who are otherwise able to say that, no, wait a minute, I know where my boundary is, that's on you, are pointing the finger at themselves. Really appreciating your your insights. And a couple of people have asked this question, and it was one that, that I have myself as well, is that, so how can you self-monitor or make sure that you're not maybe being an accidental gaslighter? What's that? How can you be aware of that and, and unintentionally creating this kind of dynamic? So that's actually a great question and, and a good segue for me to say and to share that people are not born gaslighters. People mm-hmm. don't in the morning and think, okay, I'm, I'm going to shift someone's reality around. But you either learn it, it's socially learned, so either you learn it because you're witnessing it, or maybe you watched a movie and you thought, that's pretty cool, he got her to do X, Y, Z because I did that. Or one day you were caught in a lie, and to get out of that lie, you just shifted the conversation. So you happened into the gaslighting and it worked. And I say that many people I know, including myself as a parent, are guilty of gaslighting at times. And so it's not always diabolical or malevolent or malicious. And my kids, who are pretty savvy, will sometimes say, Mom, I think you're trying to gaslight me. No, and I appreciate it. But what they mean by that is I might say something like, you know, I don't know if you really want to go to that concert. 
before. I, you know, I, I haven't heard great things about that concert. Are you sure you really thought it through? And I mean, my kids are now past the point where they're asking me whether we could go to a concert. <laughs> but I know other parents who are dealing with that. But they, they weren't always past that point. And I would find myself kind of reaching for that reason that I could help manipulate them to think about it differently. Not because I wanted to control them every minute, but because I was nervous in a moment. And so I feel like I'm not being as clear as I would like to be, but I could see myself or parents in a grocery store saying, you're not hungry, you're tired. Mm. Don't eat cookies, don't eat those cookies. Not because they want to destroy somebody's reality, but because they don't want them to eat the cookies, right? And so that was a reach that people went to and that I know many parents have gone to. One one mom said to her daughter, you know, uh, the kind of element that you're going to run into at those concerts is that's not who you are, or is it? Causing the daughter then to say, gee, I didn't, I don't think I'm like those kids who were the druggies my mother's talking about, but maybe I don't know how to make decisions. And what's really important about this for parenting is that even though you may inadvertently be gaslighting, you encourage your kids to not trust their own feelings, which is very damaging. And I've had long conversations with my own children about this because I certainly want them to trust their judgment. And when you recognize that what's happening in a relationship is that the person you're relating to is not their same strong self, is not making decisions anymore, is suddenly feeling insecure, feeling anxious, not sleeping as well, not wanting to talk to friends as much, isolating more, have a conversation about your relationship. Maybe there is something that's dynamic going on. Maybe you are encouraging that kind of anxiety unwittingly. And if your partner says, you know, you keep twisting the conversation, I'm asking you, where have you been these past two nights? And you're telling me I'm paranoid, but tell me where you've been. Mm. Then stop and be aware of what's going on for you. Yeah. The other thing I would just add to that is that very often when we don't want to answer a question or we want to deflect to something else, same thing, or we want to out, we don't want to tell the truth, it's very easy to say, it's your fault that that happened because. I, I love that observation you made because it's so important that well-intentioned behaviors can be gaslighting. And then, and as you say, and, and my own discomfort can lead me to approach things in a gaslighting way. And being mindful of that almost reminds me of the work around the self-serving bias. Well, the more confident I am that I'm not a gaslighter, I'm probably at risk of being one because like, well, I could never do that. And I, and I really appreciate your perspective on that in terms of, no, we're all at risk of this and being aware of what's going on. And as you talked about the appraisal, I love that insight that will now that can really buffer against and, and I may do it. It's recognizing what the triggers are. Pat was asking, so is the person doing the gaslighting always someone in a position of authority, power in the relationship? Yes, maybe not authority, but even if in that moment you're giving over the power, the power may simply be the power to define reality. So you've decided that among between you and your best friend, your best friend, the person who's more certain has the power. And maybe it's not a conscious decision, but it 
is nonetheless something you're giving over your power. So one of the thing, one of the reasons that I really like the gaslight effect and the workbook is that if you are giving over the power, if you're stepping into that tango by by saying, well, maybe I am that person, or I used to think this, but now I think this, and I don't know anymore, you can step out of it. So mm-hmm. if put yourself in it, you can step out of it. And sometimes when I share that, people say, well, are you then blaming the gaslight tea? Is it my fault that I got into it? It's not a question of fault. It's a question of impact. You know, Mm -hmm. the person who's gaslighting you has an impact on you and their emotions also have an impact on your emotions. So if you feel like somebody's very angry at you or disappointed in you, that's going to shift your mood too, because we all of our relationships are co-constructed and emotions are contagious back and forth. So the more you can be aware of your own emotions and your thoughts while you're in those interactions where you feel uncertain, the better you're going to be at setting a boundary, opting out of the power struggle, or stopping the gaslighting if you're on the gaslighting side. And it's about impact. And I find and such a powerful, again, a, a thing for all of us here today to reflect on because we can get wrapped up and, and sidetracked on that piece as well. What's the impact? How is this, how is this behavior affecting me, my emotions, where we are, as you say, talk about the contagion. So, so important. I've got another question <laughs> coming in rapid fire. So Kevin's wondering. This is so helpful. Thank you so much. What do you do in the moment? Like what happens if you're in a conversation and you feel you feel gas lit, if that's the right expression? I, we can say either gas lit or gas lighted. So if you have the presence of mind to say at that moment, you know what, we're going to pick it up later. Or you know what, we're going to have to agree to disagree. Or I hear what you're saying, but I really... I just don't believe it that way, or I don't see it that way. Or you, I know I may be sensitive, but you still didn't save me a seat at the table. Or you're right, I, I'm not good at that, but you still haven't asked my opinion in four meetings. Or I'm suddenly not invited to all these meetings. You're right, I am sensitive. Or I'm going through a tough time at home. Or yes, it's true that my best friend just left the department, but that doesn't change the way I see your behavior. So if you don't have the presence of mind, then you need to find a regulation, self-regulation strategy that works for you in the immediate moment, like taking a glass of water so that you can regroup. Because what we know about emotions is that when your emotions are hot, your face is flushed, your stomach is hurting, your your head is pounding, your palms are sweating, you can't think clearly. That's not just a psychological phenomenon. That's a physiological phenomenon. So in order to to be able to be clear, set a boundary, walk away, regroup, or ask for another meeting at another time, you need to be able to think clearly and not just come from fear. Because if you're coming just from fear, you may not in that moment be able to respond. And then I would recommend saying, you know, I I need to think about this. I'll get back to you. Or I'm not good at having conversations when they're heated. Or maybe it's me, but I'm going to go away and think about it. I'll get back to you tomorrow. 
Well, thanks. Such great practical advice, takeaways there and, and kind of going backwards, having those tools at, at uh, right top of mind when it's like, okay, you know what? I'm not in the right space to have this conversation. So getting a glass of water, having a pause going, okay, I need to think about this. I'll get back to you. Recognizing that we can step away and and regroup, if you will, to, to re-engage. I, I really think that's so important if we're not in that space. It reminds me of the work of William Urey about the power of a positive no going, hey, I acknowledge this and you still, you know, you haven't commented on, so it's acknowledging and then, and coming back to, and I appreciate that where for us, it sounds like it empowers us to stay grounded in our reality. Is that a, is that a fair way to put it? That's very fair. And to think about how to set a boundary and to make sure that you're in contact with what you really think. You know, one thing that, that I also want to share is that when you begin to think of yourself as a target of gaslighting, or you know you recognize your relationship is a gaslighting relationship, it can cause you to question things about yourself that you really like. I mean, I personally really like the fact that I'm flexible, I'm accommodating. I like that about me. But if I were in a relationship or when I've been in a relationship where somebody takes advantage of that, where you begin to be accommodating to the point where you're giving up pieces of yourself that lead you to not recognize yourself or not like yourself or not allow you to stand in your integrity, then you're too accommodating. And many people have grown up in a home where the accommodating, where the only feelings that were important were parents' feelings, the only wish that were important were parents' wishes. And so something happens, it's called pathological accommodation. And if that's where you're going in your relationship, where, as I said, you're giving up pieces of yourself or you're so eager to join your partner or your boss in their vision forward for the organization or for, for the relationship, you're at risk of really losing yourself. Well, and then a couple of comments saying thank you for that. It's, it's a, almost a light bulb in terms of because they were questioning parts of themselves that they appreciate and that almost like, should I give this up? Is this a bad thing? So found that insight incredibly, incredibly valuable. I've got another question uh, from Kevin saying, so helpful, so insightful. How, if you know someone who's in a relationship where gaslighting is prevalent, personal or professional, how can you engage effectively with them? That's a wonderful question because very often we see our friends doing what I was just describing, giving over pieces of themselves to accommodate the wishes and the certainty of their partner. And sometimes a gentle approach is the best approach and a curious approach. Being an emotion scientist, we, we would say at the Yale Center for Emotional Intelligence, be curious, you know, wondering how do you feel when he said that to you or how how does it seem to you? How, how does it make you feel when he is telling you that it's your fault that you can't reach him when he's out of town? Because it would make me feel like crazy. So that's one way. Another way is to simply say, I'm worried about you. I see you acting in a way that is completely different than I've seen you act before. We haven't spoken in weeks. You're someone who always keeps in touch. And then I guess the the extreme or the more assertive piece of that or insistent piece of that 
is is illustrated by a story of someone I work with where her boyfriend was insisting that when they go out to dinner, she would always take the seat where she had to face the wall so that people wouldn't come over and say hello to her and she wouldn't then be responsive to them because when she was responsive to people saying hello, uh, her boyfriend didn't like it, felt threatened, accused her of flirting. And he said, here's the, here's the great solve for that. You just face the wall. And so one night she went out to dinner with her friend and her boyfriend. And her friend went to sit in that seat that she was going to take. And she said, no, 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 I have to face the wall. And she shared out loud with her friend why she was facing the wall. And her friend said, that is it's just mm. great. Like, it's just... There's got to be a different way that you could work out what happens between the two of you rather than your guy controlling when you sit in a restaurant because what's next? What's next? And end of the day, when you're in a gaslighting relationship, even when somebody says something to you that deep down you may know is true, it doesn't mean you can get out right away. But don't give up if you see somebody suffering. Definitely let them know you love them, you care, you'll support them. And let them know what you see. I love that point about approaching with curiosity and not judgment, because I can imagine for the person that's in it, you know, coming in and saying, well, I can't believe you and, and just really hammering. How's that going to feel safe? How's that going to and approaching it from curiosity and an empathetic perspective through questions. And I wonder how or I would feel X. It just opens up the pathway to have a really meaningful discussion I've got another question from Sarah. And so, which is building on this saying, you know, I hope you can help me with this one. I have a couple of friends of mine who are in relationships, gaslighting relationships, and they're aware of it and they stay. And so I'm, I find it challenging to engage and be supportive because they know about the behavior, they call it out and yet continue to, to remain. What, any other things I can do or any thoughts? One thing that, that, can be effective is if you have the opportunity to be in a conversation with your friend, to ask your friend if they think their relationship would be good enough for you. Because mm. often when we ask ourselves, well, would I want my daughter to be treated like this or my best friend to be treated like this? And then don't stop there, but say, well, why not? Like you're telling me all these great things. And that's the thing about gaslighting. And there, there are several types of gaslighters, but especially if you're married to or you're partnering with or your boss is a good guy gaslighter, where at the end of the day, you get to do what you want. You may feel tortured along the way and like you're being driven crazy along the way, but maybe you do get the office you want or you do get the project you want. Or in the case of a partnership, maybe you do visit, go on the vacation you want or visit the relatives you want. But at the same time, you might have to deal with a very petulant boss or, or partner. I would support their feelings and validate their feeling that it is very hard to give something up. Yeah. It's hard to give up the, for example, romance of a glamour gaslighter or the feeling of the ease of well-being of working in a job where you like everyone there and so you have a boss who's a gaslighter. It's hard to give up the smartest person you ever dated or somebody who is making your life easier or helping you with your kids or maybe even the parent of, of your kids. When I write about it and speak to people, I often talk about, well, can you give yourself permission 
to make a sacrifice because people aren't one note. And even if the gaslighting note is the loudest note, there may be times where the sex is so good, the romance is so good, the money is so good on your job. But one thing that I think can help people think it through both at work and also at home is that the concept of psychological safety, where you feel free and safe to ask questions, to challenge, to be creative, it's gone in gaslighting relationships. There's psychological safety. And so if you're after, for example, a workplace where people can perform to their top potential, where creative ideas are welcome, where people are free to support each other, disagree with each other, and offer new ideas. Can you have that if you have gaslighting? And so it can be a, a led by a team leader, these conversations where we're after psychological safety here. One of the things that we notice is that there are things that disrupt that. There's bullying, there's gaslighting, there's whatever it is, whatever else is disrupting psychological safety in your organization and in the relationship too. Like, hey, I want to have a relationship where I feel free to be vulnerable, where I feel free to, I'm safe to tell you something that's not going to be used against me, where you're not going to make fun of me. And I can't do that if you're gaslighting me. Well, thank you. No, great, great, again, comments and really appreciate that point about validating the, the loss. So Sarah put that in and said, thank you. That's really valuable. We've got about 10 minutes left, so the, the time has just flown by. I'm curious about your take on this in terms of, and it seems like therapy words, you know, traumatize, gaslighting, as you talk about gaslighting, the word of the year for 2022, and, and I've had this conversation with others as well, like, are there consequences for, or is there the potential for overuse, and what is the impact of that, and, and to what extent do we need to be mindful of throwing out therapy-like words in our conversations. I'd love to get your take on that. Sure. So first of all, I, I can send you the link to an article that my colleague Mark Brackett and I wrote for the Washington Post a few, maybe a couple of months ago, about the overuse of exactly these terms. Yeah. And I think one of the dangers is that they become meaningless. Like if, if every time you disagree with me, I say you're gaslighting me, then, you know, it doesn't mean anything. And it, in communication, if you're not accurate, how can anybody really see and hear you? Mm-hmm. Like if it, let's just assume, because I know it from research, that it's a basic human need to feel seen and heard. And you can't be seen and heard if everything is the same thing. If it's traumatic for me that you were 10 minutes late, and it's traumatic for me that my friend was in a car accident, then what, is, what does that really mean? And it doesn't mean that it couldn't be traumatic that somebody's 10 minutes late if you come from a family where lateness actually caused violence in the family, for example. And potential trauma is very individual. So a horrible event that causes someone to have PTSD and, and really suffer for a long time may not cause someone else to do the same. But to weaponize the word, oh, you're so, you're always, you're always in trauma is just not helpful. And it loses its meaning and it doesn't allow you to communicate well. 
Well, and thank you for forwarding the, the, the article and it was, it's exceptional. I encourage everybody and we'll happily share it with, with people. And I really appreciate the point that it loses its meaning, its impact. And I also, and I really appreciate how you highlighted psychological safety. And then if we're going around using that term gaslighting, when someone disagrees, like that's not going to create a safe environment to have a conversation. So, so important. Really, really appreciate that. So a final question, and again, thank you so much. So when we think about our relationships, what's a key piece of advice for all of us here today in terms of how we can stay gaslight free in our personal and professional relationships? What things can we do? What skills can we build to be able to have that be successful in that endeavor? I think that's really a great question. So the first word that popped into my mind is, is integrity. So protect Mm -hmm. your own integrity and also helping your partner protect their integrity. Because if you're, if the person you're with is constantly feeling violated or manipulated, there's no way for relationship health. And I think that recognizing the way you feel using, uh, we have a wonderful app that we recommend that we built with at the Yale Center for Emotional Intelligence with. Ben Silberman, who was with Pinterest and now is the the head of the project, How We Feel, it's called How We Feel. And you can build your emotion vocabulary, learn the skills of emotional intelligence, and learn just a palette of regulation strategies. So staying inside of yourself, trusting your judgment, and making decisions and then evaluating them for yourself. Like notice the decisions you do make and are they okay? And I, this very simple principle, when somebody has been abused or feels abused or gaslighted in a relationship, does being with you today, Craig, make me feel good or not good? If it makes me feel good, I'm going to want to do it again. If it makes me feel bad, I don't care who's right. I'm not going to want to do it again. And so, you know, it's good. I like it. I can do it again. I don't like it. Doesn't matter. Nothing else matters. And when other things begin to matter, like, well, you know, he's paying my bills or, or our romantic life is so wonderful, what are you willing to give up or how much can you give up? And is this relationship good enough for your child, for your friend? And I, staying inside your own feelings, checking in with your feelings and practicing kindness and generosity, practicing being an emotion scientist, being curious practicing good listening skills, not waiting to interrupt to get your next point across, really being interested in the other person, like growing your interest, doing things together, creating routines where you spend time talking about things maybe you do even disagree with. Nothing wrong with disagreeing. Like you bump up against each other, you find your boundaries rather than destroy the boundaries of the other. You know, some basic things we should all live by. Well, I love how you started with, and so many comments here, love, integrity, integrity, integrity is awesome. Great grounding place, integrity. And and I couldn't agree more with the commentary. I think that where you started with that, protecting our integrity, protecting others' integrity, and being clear on, on our values, who we are, how we want to live in the world. And really appreciate that thoughtful question about, so how do I experience my interaction with you? 
what impact back to that observation of impact. And for me as well, absolutely love the idea of emotional scientist, emotional detective, being curious about our emotional world and what that means and what that data is looking to tell us. And thanks for sharing information about the app so we can grow our own emotions and diligence around how to label and, and describe what's happening. Just so, so important. And I think, as you say, those our relationships are so valuable, so important and equipping us with so many tools, tips, techniques. Dr. Stern, this has just been an amazing hour. I've learned so, so much. I was so excited. Love the questions from the audience. Really appreciate your time and insights. Any final words before we say goodbye uh, today? Well, just that I loved it too. And I'm so happy that the audience was really involved. Thank you to everyone who asked questions and listened. And I would say one final word is just to think about the impact you're having on other people not just the impact they're having on you. And may you all have relationships and lives that are gaslight free. Couldn't say anything better. Absolute mic drop closing. So thanks so much again. Have an amazing weekend, everyone, and look forward to seeing you soon. Bye for now. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for joining me here today on Do Good to Lead Well. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. If you'd like to continue the conversation, You can follow me on Twitter at Craig Dowden or reach out via LinkedIn or email info at craigdowden.com. I look forward to meeting you here next week for another transformational episode.